Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this special Red Box podcast from the Times, broadcast live on Facebook. I'm Matt Shorty. It's Wednesday, October the 9th, 2016, the day the world awoke to the news that Donald Trump, Donald Trump has been elected President of the United States of America. Barack Obama has congratulated him, invited to the White House uh, on Thursday. President Putin said he hopes to take uh, US relations out of their critical condition. Here in Britain, Theresa May has congratulated Trump, saying she was looking forward to working with him to ensure the security and prosperity of our nations in the years ahead. Jeremy Corbyn said Trump's victory was a rejection of a failed economic consensus. The Archbishop of Canterbury is now praying for the American people with the hope that Mr Trump may be given wisdom, insight and grace. Celebrities, including singer Katy Perry, is threatening a revolution. And Adria Ledsom, and I'm honestly not making this up, greeted the news this morning with a tweet saying, New stats on bathing water quality show our favourite swimming spots are the best on record. Uh, so that's at least something we can be glad of this morning. Uh, joining me to explain how the start of The Apprentice became Commander-in-Chief and what it's all going to mean for America, Britain and the rest of the world are Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times, Emma Tucker, deputy editor of the Times, and Joseph Sternberg from the Wall Street Journal Europe. Welcome to you all. If you're watching on Facebook, please do post any comments and questions that you might have, and we'll do our best to answer them as we go along. We'll be joined by some more uh, experts later on. But let's begin by taking a look at the extraordinary moment early this morning when the 45th President of the United States took to the stage in New York. It's been what they call a historic event, but to be really historic, we have to do a great job. And I promise you that I will not let you down. And I can only say that while the campaign is over, our work on this movement is now really just beginning. So there we are. There he is. There's uh, Donald Trump addressing the nation. A slightly different uh, tone um, than perhaps you were uh, normally used to. Tim, what did, what did you make of it? The, the, mo- the moment he walked out on the stage, he looked he looked a bit shocked. There was a bit of Boris and Gove about it, wasn't <laughs> it? You know, getting into something that you couldn't necessarily control and possibly expecting to lose when you began. And now you've got this weight of responsibility on your shoulders. Um, Do you think that's really the case, that he didn't really think this was going to happen? Well, I think if you go back um, over a year or so, I think, you know, he was looking for some publicity and to get, you know, poor old Trump TV is probably going to get put on hold now, isn't it? That's absolutely right. Now, jo- Joseph, what, what, where were you? How did you follow what was happening? What did you, at what point did you realise uh, it was going his way? Well, I was watching from the warm comfort of my home uh, and about uh, 3.30 this morning, London time, as the results were coming, and it became clear to me that she was in serious trouble. And I think that uh, one of the 
tells was that Hillary was losing counties in some of these swing states that Obama had carried four years ago. Uh, and you know, that really said to me that there was a tide going on out there that perhaps the polls hadn't uh, you know, captured uh, that was going to overcome some of these advantages that she had in terms of this uh, much vaunted ground game and get out the vote effort. Um, and you know, I think that really is the, the story here. I mean, one, one of the issues going on is that there's been this rebellion uh, on the part of voters against old-style politics, against the kind of corruption that uh, people saw in Hillary's campaign in her career, uh, and perhaps also against this business of trying to precisely fine-tune and predict election results. Um, you know, voters have really given us all a bit of a shock. It's a disaster for the pollsters again, and, and also for you know the Clinton campaign, which those of us that have covered it for the last you know, 20 or 30 years been much vaunted you know this is a candidate who did not go to wisconsin the state that eventually put you know donald trump over the top and they didn't turn up once and you what, know and only a week ago we were hearing that texas and georgia were in play but, they were nowhere near in play but isn't that i mean you, it's happened again the polls have got it disastrously wrong each time it happens we say right that's it polls you know they're not worth the paper they're written on and yet we always go back to them i really do wonder now is this the moment when either polling has to radically alter or you know the media learns to, to not trust it what what can you i mean everything indicated that she was going to win i think one one poll the la times called it for trump all the others had had a clinton victory well what's interesting about the the i suppose the polling situation is obviously from the media point of view we rely on them to give us some idea of what's going on but campaigns are relying them on on them as well presumably and that's maybe that's why yeah, they thought Trump's we don't people were asked last night what was your internal polling showing and it was showing exactly the same so they didn't get it right either um but they clearly knew that they um had an opportunity to go and win in some states where the democrats didn't think they were going to and you know to be fair to trump he did get stuck in in that rust belt uh, i tweeted an image this morning that the new york times had put up which shows the change from four years ago and it is just a swathe of red arrows across that rust belt in the northeast of the north central part of the united states and you know that's that's where it's changed and pollsters were not able to go and find that those people who don't normally vote any more than they were during the, the Brexit referendum here. Isn't it also that they underestimated the turnout hugely, yeah. I think, and that affected the polling? Well, I, I would say that a, a big and interesting part of the story is the fact that, you know, polling is really only capable of measuring uh, a couple of things that go into a voting decision. I mean, it can measure on an objective level, um, you know, what what candidate you happen to think is better at the, the particular moment that you're asked. Uh, but it won't really tell the pollster uh, anything about the kind of mood, uh, how likely you're going to be to be excited about voting on election day, um, you know, what your emotional response will be to the election as you get closer. And I think particularly in American politics, where our candidates are not campaigning on detailed policy manifestos, the way is uh, so common in European elections, uh, that kind of mood and emotion does play a big role. Uh, and it turns out that this happens to be an election that was probably decided on those aspects of the decision-making process on the part of each voter that are hardest for a pollster to capture. So on one other level, there, you know, this looks like a massive sort of demographic election in the same way that it was during Brexit. You talk to the pollsters who got it wrong on Brexit and they would go through a bunch of measures about, you know, whether what 
what colour your skin was, where you went to school, what kind of degree of education you had, where you lived, what your attitude was on certain things. And actually the correlation between that and, and voting for Brexit, if, if you put enough of those things together, was was sort of 99%. And you look at this and, you know, this is being called white lash. Um, you know, Trump got, according to the, the exit figures, 67% of votes from white voters without a college degree. And that is by a distance the most emphatic of all the of all the measures. And, you know, actually, at some level, if you're asking people what they think, um, at some level, you should be asking who they are. And that tells you perhaps more about it than anything. One of, one of my favourite tweets from last night was from Curtis Sittenfeld, who's a very funny, witty American novelist who's written a lot about college-educated women. And she tweeted... Um, college-educated women, I thought I knew... White women, I thought I knew you, because it turns out 45% college-educated white women voted for Trump, which was is, is by any stretch, uh, extremely unusual. Yeah. And uh, to, to what extent as well do you think... Because what, we've, what we saw in, in Brexit was that the... the there were a particular type of person who was more likely to vote for Brexit, but they were also more likely to vote. And actually, there was the issue about millennials in the UK were likely to be more pro-Remain and didn't turn out. And there seems to be a feeling of a similar phenomenon in America. The, the people who were pro-Trump were really pro-Trump, and they went out and they queued up and they voted. And actually, people are so reluctant to back uh, Clinton, particularly young people, they just don't seem to have turned out. Is that a fair reflection? Well, I, I, uh, maybe in some cases for some voters, but I also know of voters who uh, went into the polling place not sure who they were going to vote for uh, until they marked the ballot paper. Um, and so, you know, I think that the other point to make about the polling in general and sort of how we should think about this is that, um, you know, American politics is in the middle of a big realignment right now. Uh, and I think that that is going to scramble a lot of our assumptions about who votes and what motivates them to vote and, uh, you know, what motivates them to vote in a particular way. Uh, and so from that perspective, maybe I'm not so surprised that, um, you know, the pollsters were confounded in this election. And it doesn't necessarily mean that polling will never be accurate again. But it does mean that you're going to have to spend an awful lot of time uh, thinking about the assumptions that go into how you think about the electorate and that behavior and where you think that the fault lines really are uh, before you can start having accurate polling again. And part of the problem there is that Donald Trump kind of disguised what was going on. Because Trump was this huge, larger-than-life character who became a kind of soap opera figure, um, people were not looking at what was underlying what he was doing to the same degree. And a lot of the sort of uh, the media and the pollsters assumed he couldn't win because of the way he was behaving. But actually, if he'd been a normal candidate, we'd have said he was a transformatory figure who was, uh, you know, as Joseph says, realigning the whole of American politics, putting states in play that have not been in play uh, for his party for some time. And because he's this sort of joke figure to some no one took that very seriously but actually you know what he built that on was a, a was a big shift that's been going on in politics since the great crash of 2008 we have to look at that now and say that in our lifetimes that's now a more significant event than the fall of the berlin war and to what extent did you do you think he actually identified the sort of people he's reaching out to or was it just what started as a sort of half joke campaign started to resonate with them and he knew then to reach out to them I think what's so fascinating about Trump is how intuitive he is. And that's a, another contrast with so much of American politics and why I think that he really stood out. I mean, I have no idea if he stepped onto that stage when he announced, announced his candidacy uh, all these months ago and had a clear sense in his mind of who 
exactly his typical expected voter would be. And you know, maybe voters like that. I mean, I, I also detect a certain amount of frustration and tiredness, uh, exhaustion with this very scientific approach to campaigning, with us trying to finally slice and dice uh, the, the numbers. And I mean, remember that Republicans had had some success with that in 2004, uh, when uh, George W. Bush's re-election relied heavily on that kind of strategy, and then it started breaking down again. Uh, and I think that this year Republicans, uh, you know, voters in their wisdom or otherwise, were prepared to embrace a more intuitive candidate, uh, and it seems to have worked. I think, you know, the intuition allowed him to get away with things that, you know, perhaps were surprising. So, for example, I don't think most Americans would approve of his attitude towards women. I don't think they would openly like it, but it wasn't enough to stop them voting for him. So he played, you know, his intuition allowed him to get away with things just. And because it seemed authentic and it wasn't being carefully yeah. managed. And all I mean, I suppose one of the things is, and this is again is a parallel with Brexit, and we've talked about particularly working class voters, but the left behind or the people who felt detached from Westminster or Washington. But a billionaire property developer from New York seems like a if you had to pick somebody who was going to harness that, it he seems an unlikely person to have to have done it. But maybe maybe that's because of his authenticity, and he he was just people did just feel like he was saying what no one else is saying. I, I think that saying what no one else is saying is important. I mean, I, I forget who it is has uh, you know, said that you need to draw the distinction between taking Trump literally and taking him seriously. I think that that was perhaps where a lot of uh, you know pundits, in, in particular, went wrong. You know, when when he promised to build that wall, I'm sure that some of his um, supporters did take that claim literally. I think that a lot of other people who ended up voting for him yesterday heard that claim and they thought, look, no, no one is going to end up actually building a wall. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's talking about it says that he takes seriously our concerns about the immigration issue. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, perhaps it didn't matter what he said. He, he was not the status quo. And in the end, that's what won so it for what, him. To what extent uh, was this lost by Hillary or, or actually lost by the Democrats for having chosen such an establishment candidate with so much baggage and you wanted to design a candidate to run against you would be hard pushed to design one more effective for you than Hillary Clinton and you know those of us who've seen her up close at some level are struggling not to laugh when were you, when were you when, when yeah you were well you I covered the America? 2008 election cycle so I you know I covered the, the primaries in great depth between her and Obama and you know they are machine guys who you know are pretty aggressive and uh, they're not always fun to be around and you'd need a heart of stone not to be smiling at some level this morning um, at seeing everything that they've built and put together come tumbling down so emphatically you know this is a woman who during the primaries who was not connecting with the kind of voters who have let her down today at, at one level she never ever got those bernie sanders people fully on board the young people and the people who were anti-establishment um they were always suspicious of her and you know part way through that that primary campaign she, they met they i remember her press office putting out an announcement that you know hillary was going to loosen up and be much more spontaneous <laughs> on the stump and there's nothing that says spontaneity like putting out a press release in advance <laughs> announcing that you're about to be we, more spontaneous. We, we've, we've arranged three bouts of spontaneity uh yeah um and and where does uh where do the clintons go now is that it for the clintons do they, do they depart the stage with obama and that's the end? I, I don't see how they can come back. I mean, uh, just in terms of her age and as a candidate and where the election cycle is, I think that this realistically was going to be the last cycle that she could do. Uh, and particularly since this is the first time that she's made it to a general election campaign, 
uh, now that she's lost, I think that it would be hard pressed for her to come back from that. And and it's fascinating because there, there's something of a, a classical tragedy to this, where she has made it her her goal in life for so many decades to become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and every people, do you think now people just don't like that as a as a what it says about someone that you know their entire life is obsessed about that well I, I i mean i think that was a real turnoff We're, we are accustomed to politicians being ambitious because you don't run for president <laughs> if you don't have a deep-seated ambition but there, there was also something um about the the single-mindedness with which she approached that endeavor and in fact an irony that so many of the scandals that ended up helping to sink her campaign yesterday uh, are directly related to actions that she took earlier in her career to try to make her more electable. I mean, the whole purpose of setting up the separate email server was to conceal from the, the public various interrelations between her activities in the State Department and the Clinton Foundation that would make it difficult for her to win a presidential election. Well, guess what? People <laughs> figured out before November 8th, you know, when she might have preferred for them to notice after it was already a done deal. And do we expect... Trump to try and lock her up as his supporters well, were question. trying to challenge. Where are they going? Are they going to jail is the big question, isn't it? I mean, he it, Trump's message this morning seemed relatively conciliatory, and I suspect that uh, uh, the good officers of the Republican Party will be surrounding him now and suggesting that's not probably the way to go. But, uh, you know, it's not impossible that uh, she'll find herself meeting with a grand jury at some point. And, and with the extraordinary transformation of Barack Obama, anyone running a campaign now... Does, you do not want Barack Obama uh, weighing in behind you, do you? His intervention in Brexit, vote leaves, described as being the best thing that happened to them. Well, again, the, the His par- enthusiasm for Clinton doesn't seem to have, to the, have carried. The parallels with Brexit are almost too painful, particularly the whole celebrity endorsement. I mean, she had everybody, sports stars, you know, pop stars, old, young, you know, you name it. And yet it did nothing for her. And uh, ditto Barack Obama. And uh, what's so strange is that we saw all that with Brexit, and yet, like, yet up until last night, everyone was going, "Oh, look, the, the Obamas—they're be the best campaigners. She, they've got Michelle; the she's campaigning's wonderful." Campaigning's changed now, and actually, one of the one of the things I was going to touch on was just Donald Trump and Twitter. He was supposed to have it taken away from towards the end, but the whole way he was campaigning and firing off what appeared to just pop into his head via Twitter—that that people can now see through the sort of carefully choreographed campaigns where you get big business and pop stars and all they all line up and you and spontaneity is pre pre-organized it just maybe that's just people just don't buy that anymore americans hate being told what to do i mean it's in our it's in our nat- <laughs> national character um you know the, the your image is the you know solitary farmer out in the the countryside tilling his land uh you know with the with the family um acting independently i mean this notion that goes back to our very founding about the uh, re, you know small r republican citizen um actively participating in the life of the the state and um you know I think this business of having the celebrity endorsements or this notion that somehow the great and good of the world will tell you how to vote, I mean, it, it can be effective insofar as it signals that, hey, you know, people I respect and trust. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Think that it's acceptable to vote one way or the other, uh, but it can also backfire. I mean, if there's a sense that you know, who are you know Kanye West or Katy Perry to try to tell me who to vote for, and uh, you know, I think there was that element. You know, almost you can think of it in terms of the, the sort of peasants' revolt yeah, that you had in Europe in the, the Middle revolt. Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all that implies, I mean, this element of the you know, there's this old quote from the, the Middle Ages about the worms of the earth rising up against the lions, um, and you know there is a, an element of, of that afoot. But you know that also you can draw some parallels to those episodes in terms of the difficulty that this Trump-style movement faces moving forward. But if I, if I was a Matteo Renzi in Italy or a mainstream French politician, I'd be taking a very hard look at how I intend to campaign over the next few months. Because, you know, it, finally the penny will drop it, that this sort of campaigning isn't working. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the Democrats go about choosing their next. I mean, I know it's a long way off yet, but, you know, they're going to have to think really hard about who they pick. They've got to find somebody effective. That's brilliant stuff. I'm going to let you all go because I know you've all got uh, day jobs to uh, attend to. So Emma, Joseph and Tim, thank you very much for joining us. We've got some more guests joining us in a set. But let's just take a look at the moment that Mike Pence in introduce the new U.S. president. This is a historic night. The American people have spoken and the American people have elected their new champion. And I'm, uh, I'm deeply grateful to the American people for placing their confidence in this team and giving us this opportunity to serve. And I'm mostly grateful to our president-elect, whose leadership and vision will make America great again. Okay, so that was Mike Pence there introducing uh, Donald Trump. He's now, obviously, uh, vice president. I'm now joined by uh, Danny Finkelstein, Times columnist, and Catherine Philp, uh, diplomatic correspondent for The Times. So let's talk a bit about... We were just talking about the campaign and how that played out and how uh, how this extraordinary thing happened. Let's talk a bit about what this might mean for Britain, because obviously we need to, you know, obsess with this special relationship, uh, but also um, what it might mean globally, and because... Catherine, the, the sense is that people don't really know what sort of president Donald Trump's going to be and what his relationship is going to be like worldwide, apart from his interest in Moscow. In Russia. Yes, um, the campaign as a whole was very light on policy detail, um, which is a problem for forecasting what's going to happen um, going forward. And 
foreign policy is not an area that uh, Trump is particularly well schooled in. Um, he came across often quite improvisational uh, in his approach. Um, but that is not to say that there aren't um, some consistent strands that underpin uh, the statements he has made, particularly in the debate. Um, and, and some of them are causing great concern around the world this morning. Um, he has uh, seemed to approach foreign policy from a uh, a very transactional point of view, quite sort of mercantile point of view, where he sees things in terms of, in the frame of his America first, America's priorities, uh, America getting the best deal out of um, its relationships around the world. And uh, perhaps the source of greatest concern is uh, his slightly casual uh, approach towards more traditional alliances. Um, so he's talked about taking America out of NATO. If NATO allies don't um, fulfil their contributions, do enough, step up. He's talked... Which actually is mm. quite a reasonable... I mean, arguing that the USA should leave NATO is a big threat. Yes. But arguing that the other countries should... Cause, I mean, America pays a huge proportion of the Absolutely, and this has been a persistent criticism bill. from yeah. Washington, and President Obama himself yeah. has made it too. Um, I, I think we, this goes a step beyond anything we've heard before. The actual uh, he, He's also called NATO obsolete, yeah. uh, outdated. I mean, these are uh, coupled with his enthusiasm for uh, relations with Russia. This is seen by lots of people in Europe as um, emboldening Russia, that, 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 that Russia is looking for... Uh, weakness within these uh, alliances uh, for an opportunity. Danny, in his uh, victory speech this morning, he said he, he wants to tell the world community that while we'll always put America's interests first, we will deal fairly with everyone. Uh, and in fact, a few people have posted on Facebook, so Anthony Reid's one of them, saying, does this now mean we're front of the queue? Because there was this Barack Obama warned that if Britain voted for Brexit, we'd be at the back of the queue for a trade deal. And Donald Trump said, no, uh, no, we wouldn't be. What do you think? That, how do you think that will play out? Well, I think he might try partly in order to sort of spite Obama and partly um, because of what he said in the campaign. He might try to accelerate the trade relationship with Britain up, up the queue. Uh, but the problem actually was that the queue uh, issue is created by the sort of the physical problems of how many people you can have negotiating a deal at once and how big that deal is. If you look at America's actual interests, which he says he puts first, they probably aren't to put Britain at the top of the queue just because of the size of our market compared with other free trade deals. So, um, you know, like a lot of things that politicians say during election campaigns, they, they're not necessarily consistent. And putting America first and putting Britain at the head of the queue may not be. Uh, and he has made a big emphasis. I've just been reading um, for the paper for tomorrow uh, his book, Crippled America, which I'd read during the campaign. He, he, and as Catherine says, you know, he makes a very big emphasis on other countries paying their way. Uh, and perfectly reasonably so. After 1945, America regarded it as being in their security interests to finance the uh, economic development and uh, military power of Europe. And I understand why uh, it no longer feels that way on the, uh, for them. And um, that is distressing and worrying, uh, but not actually that unreasonable. Uh, and we are going to have to respond to it. It's a very big moment in that way. The special relationship is the thing that whenever there's a new British Prime Minister or a new US President, there's a big debate about the special relationship. There was a very close relationship between Barack Obama and David Cameron. We're not going to see anything like that between Donald Trump and Theresa May, are we, Catherine? 
Um, I mean, I think that Danny's right. It, it really. Do, I think we must take um, Mr. Trump at his word when he says that he will look after America's priorities first. And it, it really comes down to whether he sees that as something um, you know th- that he needs to make a priority of. And I, I don't see it as being one for him right now. Look, you could, uh, there are two ways of looking at it. You, what you might call, um, I saw this, uh, it's not original to me, I saw this this morning on social media, a hard Trump or soft Trump. Um, so soft Trump says, look, this is a very successful businessman who does a lot of deals in what is, after all, a liberal city, who is not a traditional uh, Republican, who has um, who has won on, uh, in places where traditional Republicans don't win with votes that traditionally go to the Democrats or have done uh, since Nixon's uh, Southern strategy. Um, to, so uh, this um, this would lead you to think perhaps Trump can be the dynamic businessman in the White House that he claims in his books that he intends to be. In other words, yes, decisive, um, but also a deal maker. Um, the more pessimistic view, the hard Trump view is uh, people don't change. Uh, I remember once somebody saying to me, you know, when Gordon Brown becomes Prime Minister, he'll change. And I knew then it would be a disaster. Um, people don't change. You know, the Billy Bean... Gordon got worse. That was how Billy Bean selected his, uh, his uh, uh, Oakland's a, uh, a baseball team on the insight that people don't really change and that this is, you know, one of our... Uh, the things that we flatter ourselves with that we can change people and therefore he will continue to be what he has been during the campaign somebody who works off the top of his head uh, doesn't do a lot of briefing doesn't have a lot of time for um, kind of established views and has after all this method has won him a great victory uh, again against Hillary Clinton's um, alternative way of working so um, this is not going to be the moment when he's going to lose faith in his political abilities um on the contrary he's uh, won a great victory so uh that paints a more pessimistic view um it suggests that yes we could get the gridlock that everyone thinks might be you know the workings of checks and balances but if trump behaves as he can behave that could be constitutional crisis rather than gridlock um it's impossible to tell at this moment but certainly you know if you take the more pessimistic view and I, I do I'm not at the far end of pessimism I thought some of the comments were a bit this morning a bit hysterical that I heard on you know the BBC and the people that reacting who didn't want him to be elected you have to respect how he got elected you have to learn the lessons that are being taught by the Brexit referendum by this about the feelings of some of the people who vote voted for um Trump and voted for Brexit because otherwise you will not win in the current environment uh, and you will not be able to implement the policy so you have to learn those lessons Uh, but I probably am at the mild end of pessimism Uh, not so much because of the um, coalition he's put together which you know you can respect and which um, is an was an obvious play for someone in the Republican Party at some point but more because of his personal way of behaving which just isn't the way that I like to see someone in public life behave, per, you know, speaking for myself. But maybe uh, Aaron Banks of UKIP called me a slow f- snowflake the other day, and I, he may be right. <laughs> um, uh, Catherine, what do we know about the team that he might take into the uh, White House with? And there's been talk about Newt Gingrich and yes, Rudy Giuliani. Yes, Newt Gingrich is a, a potential Secretary of State. Um, there is a General Mike Flynn, who may be either a Defence Secretary or a National Security Advisor. Um, 
But in the, certainly in the foreign policy area, um, he has had trouble attracting um, well-informed advisers, and that has left us really sort of, you know, scrabbling in the dark a bit about but, his intentions. But now he is going to be president, presumably attracting people who might want to work in the White House, is a, it should become a bit easier. This will be very interesting to see, because he uh, his positions as far as we know them um absolutely fly in the face of beltway thinking of yeah. the whole foreign policy establishment um he uh, you know signaling a retreat an american retreat from the world people are talking again possibly hysterically one hopes so perhaps uh, of the end of the pax americana um and the whole uh, post world war ii global order that has prevailed uh, since then um, that is the thinking of people like Hillary Clinton and absolutely most of the uh, of Washington so we uh, it really depends I think on whether he intends to translate some of his stated uh, positions into actual policy um, some people have gone as far as to suggest there will be mass resignations from the diplomatic and military establishment if he tried to do that um, but you know uh, th- there is a huge sense of patriotic duty among Amongst, um, uh, these communities and people will I think feel the need to do the best thing for their country and and to influence the new administration whatever they think of of the president he is head of state <clears throat> this is very important so there is a uh, tradition that if you're asked by the head of state to serve uh, you're being asked by the commander-in-chief and uh, you don't have that much choice now that isn't of course strictly true people do turn it down Uh, but I think that um, some people will regard that as a duty and other people will use it as a cover uh, and um, to do something they might want to do anyway so I I don't think he'll find it difficult attracting um, intelligent people to advise him but I think he might have difficulty keeping them uh, because he doesn't tend to take their advice Um, and this isn't necessarily because he thinks theirs is bad advice but because he wasn't listening when they spoke to him (laughs) this is this is an under uh, you know I'm not I'm you know, he has been, you know, hugely politically successful and hugely economically successful. He's a billionaire and he's president, right? So I, I, to start to say the guy doesn't read his briefing document sounds a bit pathetic. Uh, it will, uh, it hasn't been a detraction from him so f- uh, from his success so far, but it certainly be a problem, um, and uh, it'll certainly be a different way of doing things. Let's put it that way, and it may cause people who want to work for him difficulty he did have difficulty keeping staff not i think because he's horrible to them but because then they got frustrated that he wouldn't listen to them i think there's uh, also you can't rule out the fact that he has the most staggering um in to deal with and we just don't know yet to what degree he may choose to outsource things that he's not interested in particularly it was striking i thought his speech was very domestic folk you know he was talking about infrastructure and building bridges and right, which, literally building physical bridges mm-hmm. uh, which is uh that gave a sense of where he th- his focus was going to be. It's n- yes, it's, I mean, it's not that clear at all that yeah. foreign policy will be a priority for him. Um, whether or not, whether he's steering it, whether he sort of lets it, um, you know, just reads it, uh, yeah. laissez-faire, or whether he outsources it, it remains to be seen. Let's just do a, cu- a couple of the questions that people have posted. Robert Chalmers says, first Brexit, now Trump. Any bets on Europe's elections coming up? Is, do you think this, this phenomenon of the, the disaffected, the left behind, it's not just exclusive to britain and america is it it's a rebellion against uh, some of the consequences of globalization you you would <clears throat> you know i mean my view is that um as we're trying to make ourselves better off it's almost inevitable that we're going to start doing more and more world trade and will lead us into problems of how you politically control that and who are the beneficiaries of it in particular it means that in wealthy countries we specialize in ways that that 
benefit wealthy people uh, or people who own capital or have human capital and it's very difficult for other people and that will produce a democratic backlash and that has done here it's difficult to think that it wouldn't affect almost every country um, in Europe obviously one of the, the institutions that was set up to uh, to kind of deal with the issue that we're we trade across a lot of borders and we have to have economic uh, political relationships to try to to police those economic relationships was the European Union and that is definitely creaking we've broken our relationship with it in uh, Britain but this is part of a um, of a worldwide phenomenon so we will see it elsewhere and uh, the obvious uh, thing coming up is the French elections and Marie Le Pen she was quick out of the blocks this morning to welcome Donald Trump could we see this happening in France um, I think it's still a little early to say because we post Brexit. I think we saw something. Um, two things could have happened. You could have got uh, sort of the emboldening of far right movements in lots of countries, which certainly they felt emboldened. But the, I don't think we have clear evidence yet that it's actually boosted them. And in fact, for some in some countries, you've seen the opposite happen, where there's been more support uh, for the European Union in uh, the wake of Brexit out of fear. Um, about what you know possibly what looking could, at uh, thing, things yeah, like yeah. The, what's happening to sterling so i i think things are uh, the, the cards are being thrown up a bit and we we don't quite know how they're going to settle yet funny andrew dunn says if an early election was called in the uk what might feasibly happen given pretty much anything seems possible i mean i suppose the difference is that we don't have somebody as a figurehead for the sort of well, voice of the disaffected <coughs> it does raise this question which is uh Will the people who turned out in a Brexit election turn out in a Brexit referendum turn out in a general election? Uh, it certainly um, does pose a question over two things. One is the existence of the centre left, um, which is under pressure from, uh, you know, which Hillary Clinton and Tony Blair represented and has now been defeated everywhere. And the second is the ability of the Conservative Party to maintain a coalition which includes some of the people who voted for Donald Trump and some of the business elite which those people attack. Uh, and um, the Conservative Party has been very successful at uh, uniting that. And it, the interesting question at the moment is whether Theresa May's some tacking towards you might consider the sort of Brexit voters is necessary to keep a coalition together or is a craven collapse to um, to a force that can be resisted and that will be I think one of the debates inside conservatism and in British politics Excellent stuff, well, I know you've both got lots of work to do so uh, I won't keep you anymore, uh, just a reminder that you can uh, log on to the times.co.uk for a bumper 5pm edition with loads more news and in-depth analysis and reaction from around the world. You can subscribe to the podcast on Android and on iTunes where you can also post a review. Uh, the Wall Street Journal is doing an event tomorrow morning if you want to try and make sense of it all. That's at 8 o'clock and you can find details of that on the Times Plus website and you can sign up to my morning red box email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box email. But now uh, thank you to all my guests, to Tim, Emma, Joseph, Danny and Catherine and for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.